0: Hello and welcome to The Weekend Wrap for The Week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and it it is the 11th of September, 2022, and what a historic week it has been for Australia and indeed the world. And joining me for this very special edition of The Weekend Wrap is the great, the glorious, the queen of my heart... (laughs) Best-selling author of QAnon and on a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, and my co-host for the week on Wednesday live appearing at Melbourne Fringe on October twelfth at Victorian Trades Hall Council is of course Van Baddam. Van, how are you this morning? Well,
1: I like to think of myself as the comrade of your heart,
0: the comrade of my heart. Yes,
1: I'm not really. I'm not really a queen. No, no certainly never been a princess.
0: No, but I have heard you referred to as the Red Queen. I
1: like Red Queen because it's hilarious and because Jordan Peterson called me that. By the way, Jordan Peterson, for those of you who follow what weird right-wing Canadian um, psychology professors do, right-wing pundits, he's been saying things uh, about the Russians recently and how, you know, they're really taking it to those bourgeois Westerners. And I'm like... Go and live there, Jordan.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, look, Jordan Peterson aside, it's been a huge, huge week. Of course, it was a parliamentary sitting week this week, but we've also, of course, uh, experienced the passing of Queen Elizabeth II after more than 70 years on the throne. We will talk a little bit about that, but I do want to focus firstly on what's happened domestically here in Australia. Because
1: there have been things happening, in fact, all over the world that have not been related to the death of Queen Elizabeth II. And maybe,
0: maybe someone should talk about them. Absolutely. Of course, one of the big things that has happened is that Australia passed its first piece of climate legislation in in over a decade. Uh, Of course, the legislation has come in for criticism from both the left and the right, usually a sign that it's on roughly the right track.
1: Uh It certainly represents (laughs) a majority position if the left and the right are kicking off about it. So, yes, it is extremely exciting and the passage of this legislation, and let's just stress that again, more than 10 years we have have been without active legislation in this space Um, and... It's more than 10, isn't it? Or is it nine? No, I think it's more than 10 years. And look, Albany is- early in my coffee is yet to kick in, everybody. But I was going to make the point, the climate wars are over and the Labor Party won.
0: Yes. But as we know, with all these things, no one ever dies in politics. No
1: one ever dies.
0: And it's important that we keep pushing ahead and pushing ahead, uh, which is why I wanted to talk about it today, because it, I, I thought it- Rated a mention, uh, despite all the other, you know, historical things that have happened. Of course, family and domestic violence leave, paid leave, has also uh, passed the parliament as well. This, this is
1: week. going to transform the lives of people who are trying to escape situations in which they're experiencing violence. Um, Family and domestic violence leave was a campaign championed by the union movement. Um, Ben and I spent some very wet mornings out on the pavement uh, with unions like the Australian Services Union demanding family and domestic violence leave. The idea that it's now the law of the land. Like I just want people to understand the whole, well, why didn't she leave? It's actually very difficult to leave an abusive partner, especially if you have children. There are like seven different, like seven different court orders you need to get access to your staff to be able to get yourself off bills, to be able to change your children's name, have protection at their schools, so your abusive partner can't turn up and take them if they're also their children. All of those things, it's extremely complicated and it leaves particularly women trapped in extremely dangerous situations long after they want to get out of them. So the idea that leave has been provided so there is a you know an economic safety net for women fleeing those particular situations that their jobs will not be taken from them that there is some form of stability and economic security in their lives when they're going through the hardest thing anybody will ever go through it's amazing
0: it is absolutely amazing and you're absolutely right the union movement was at the forefront of calling for this leave. And of course, many companies had already instituted it as part of bargaining arrangements, yet another reason why extending bargaining arrangements to more workers in more places is of benefit to more people, not just for the wages component, but the conditions components. So, of course, as always, on the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday and the weekend on Wednesday itself, we encourage you to get online right now, go to AustralianUnions.org.au/wow. That's W-O-W for Week on Wednesday, and join your union because whether you're joining the ASU. Or the UWU or the SDA or the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, it, it's really whatever is the right union for you in the workplace you're in, it's so, so important. Because we also know that while family domestic violence leave is now the law of the land, we know that unions are bargaining for and getting improvements, even on the minimum conditions that have been legislated. So it's a huge, huge opportunity for people to to jump online and do that right now. Of course, Van, one of the more controversial things that happened during the week that was somewhat being glossed over, but does lead into a discussion, I think, about the monarchy a little bit, uh, is that uh, Governor General Hurley uh, and his pet uh, project, the uh, leadership uh, Australian leaders of the future or Australian future leaders foundation. The Leader Futures Australia. There's and some sort of program. in sort of People's
1: news. Front. Yeah,
0: yeah, was due to receive eighteen million dollars in funding with four million dollar a year ongoing funding from the Commonwealth. Uh, this was a, a program signed off by the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet under Scott Morrison, uh, and it has been announced that that will not now happen, uh, that uh, Jim Chalmers as Treasurer of Australia uh, made uh, the point that this did not pass muster uh, his words uh, when they were looking at the budgets. And, of course, this was a foundation that didn't actually exist.
1: No, it had no offices. It had no staff. It was
0: not, as I believe the parlance goes, an actual thing. Yeah, exactly right. Now, look, it's all well and good for the Commonwealth to provide seed funding to projects. We understand that that's needed sometimes, but there are plenty of organisations doing leadership work, doing targeted leadership work, doing general leadership work. There was no real need for this, and uh, quite rightly, the government has scrapped the program, despite the Governor-General's rubber stamp or endorsement of it. And I think I think that does lead into a discussion more broadly about the role of uh, the Governor General. But you know, to some degree, a pin will need to be put in that because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, this week.
1: Yes, Ben and I want to make a full disclosure. We are advocates of the Australian Republican movement. We are absolute Republicans. The fact that I come from a family who once themselves lived in what is now the Republic of Ireland, we might have some, should I say, generational issues in our attitudes towards the British monarchy probably does colour my analysis
0: of these particular Constitutional discussions? And full disclosure, I am a paid up member of the Australian Republican movement uh, and a member of uh, Labour for a Republic. There's uh, no part of me that yearns to live under the yoke of King Charles III or King William, will it be the fourth? I'm not sure. Um, But you would imagine in my lifetime, those are the two monarchs who will now succeed Elizabeth II. Yes, we
1: find the idea of uh, appointing uh, leadership and ownership of governmental control to a hereditary dynasty to be a bit creepy and weird. This is also because we're Isaac Asimov fans, full (laughs) disclosure there as well. And if you haven't watched the brilliant adaptation of his Foundation series on TV, we give that a hearty recommendation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But, of course, look... Elizabeth II was Queen of England, uh, Australia and- Lots of other places. Yeah, head of the Commonwealth for uh, over 70 years. It was her Platinum Jubilee. She's the only British monarch to ever have a Platinum Jubilee. The second longest serving monarch in human history. Who was
1: the longest serving
0: uh, that's a good question and I don't know the answer, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a British monarch. It was- Come to us, nerds. Yes. Come to us. us. No. Please tell us because it is, look, it, it is, it is notable. It is notable because we have, for so many of us, only ever known, uh, Queen Elizabeth the as our monarch, as our head of state. Uh, and now there will be a change. That Van, you you tweeted about the, and you lived in the UK. I did for over ten years. And that that experience of uh, people experiencing Queen Elizabeth as a stabilising force, uh, a point of uh, stability in an ever-changing world, uh, an unchanging uh, visage at the at the very peak of. Their nation.
1: Well, uh, the term that I used when I tweeted about it, when the news had come through that she was under medical supervision, was constancy. And Mm. I don't think living in Britain is a very different experience to, for example, watching lots and lots of BBC dramas on the ABC. Like it is a very complex and riven society. With, I, I mean, I loved living in Britain and had incredible cultural experiences there. It is very frustrating that one of the most intellectually rich countries on on the earth is so uh, literate and with this incredible tradition of philosophy and theatre and all these things can't sort out their class system or maybe don't want to sort out that class system is very frustrating. But certainly Britain in even my lifetime has gone from the last vestiges of its empire to being sort of a post-colonial rump of itself. And certainly the Brexit decision has totally wrecked Britain. Like it has economically ruined Britain. It has divorced it culturally from Europe. It has created um, military problems, cultural problems, but the, the amount- Fishing of problems. Fishing problems, which seems like nothing until you realise just how important fishing industries are to Britain. I mean, the the situation they're facing with power bills at the moment, and this will be something we circle back to, where you are looking at families who are facing total annihilation due to the expense of heating their homes in winter. Anybody who's lived through a British winter knows they are bleak. Like I was walking through the snow in York up to my neck uh, a few years ago when I was still living there thinking how does – I can endure this for a couple of days, but as a life, like Mm. this is really difficult. And when you are in poverty in Britain, you are in poverty that – is just crushing, especially in that cold. There is nothing like it. And the... The issue with profiteering that's going on with their energy system at the moment where companies are just like, well, we can charge it, so we will charge it, that the conservative government of Liz Truss, words that really struggle to get out of my mouth with
0: shock. Because that's only been a week as well.
1: Well, she was the, like the queen appointed Liz Truss, you know, days, gave, yeah. gave, you know. Ascent. The, ascent. to the crown to the elevation of Liz Truss and then was dead within 48 hours. I'm not going to cast any. No. Anyway, so moving on, Liz Truss did acknowledge the death of the Queen by posting a photo of herself looking sad, um, sitting at a desk writing a letter, which says rather everything you need to know about Liz Truss, uh, apart from the fact that she gets very excited about pork markets, um, which I certainly recommend you look up. Anyway, the the issue that Britain has, it's a riven society Mm. with terrible... Dealing with this political disaster of Brexit in denial about how they were manipulated into supporting it, and spoiler alert, was, there was rather a lot of Russian influence in that one. Um, they have all of these problems, uh, you know, to do with the impoverishing of their resources. They've had Tories in for 12 years. Well, David Cameron was elected in 2010 and absolutely – Cut a knife through social services. His Mm. big society was about cutting government support of welfare and cutting money to local councils. They only have two levels of government in Britain they have their um, federal, their national government, and they have their um, sort of count, their local governments. Local governments governments in Britain run education and local governments run Mm. a lot of the services we'd associate with state governments. And they took Massive, massive, massive cuts in funding, closed libraries, closed markets, closed homeless shelters, closed community centres, you know, cut to pieces their school system. And it's left them
0: absolutely bleeding. And, it, and it, it's really interesting in the context of discussions about the royal family and uh, the multi-billion dollar royal estates that now King Charles III will inherit uh, control of uh, that uh, I just I just keep coming back to. There was a quote from a radio uh, call-in show. Somebody called in uh, during the last election there when Boris Johnson was facing off against um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn, and putting aside the issues of, of Jeremy Corbyn, of which there are many, we don't have time to go into all those. But the person rang in and said, "Well." Under under Boris Johnson, we've got three food banks in our town. And under the last Labour government, we didn't have any. That's why I'll be voting for Boris Johnson. This kind of perverse, upended thinking that food, having multiple food banks is a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. The provision of food banks, of course, is when people are in poverty and you need, they have no other way of being fed, you go to a food bank.
1: Well, in Britain now, they're talking about um, heat banks. That Because people are not going to be able to uh, afford to turn on the power during winter, they are going to, uh, various charities are going to be organizing warm rooms for people to sit in with heating. So pensioners, old people, anybody who's in a situation where they can't afford heating bills has somewhere warm to go. I mean, it is sickening. And when I talk about What I'm trying to convey to people about the role of the Queen, and this was something I really picked up on while I was there, is that some of these problems in Britain and the problem of British poverty is so annihilating, so annihilating and so confronting that many Britons have this attachment to the the monarchy and particularly Queen Elizabeth II as this source of constancy, that the Queen never changes, that the Queen speaks to the entire nation. Paul Keating made that really good point this week. And Paul Keating, obviously a famous Australian Mm. Republican, was that in an era where politics went from being about the collective good to the individual want and the politics of neoliberalism turned everybody into an individual consumer as opposed to a part of a community she fought she fought back as a symbol of the community that she was of britain and her stateliness and like i y- you can actually be a Republican and not be in favour of monarchy at all and yet see the value of the cultural image she projected to the British people. So I've, it's been interesting. I've copped a lot of rubbish. I, I was accused of being a royalist, which is extraordinary, being yeah. from a family of okay. Fenians. Um on the internet this week for just saying the grief in Britain is very legitimate because as all of their other social institutions have been torn apart by Toryism, by the ridiculous Brexit misadventure, you know, and they've seen these massive scandals in public life. Everything from Jimmy Savile, who was the children's TV presenter, yeah. who was exposed as a serial pedophile to, you know, the, the denigration of the NHS and what the Tories have done to it. All of these political scandals All of these institutions have taken a battering, even Prince Charles himself and obviously Prince Andrew, let us not even go into that one, all of these moral compromises, the Queen herself as a symbol of, you know, of continuity. Of continuity and constancy is the word that I use that it's been, I've watched other politicians use that word as well since, that that, that sense of, of permanence. I mean, I would have friends in the UK who were also Republicans, who also who were British Republicans, who knew that the, the monarchy was ridiculous and a waste of money and this pomp and all this, you know, the private um, gains made by the royal family as well because of this yeah. ridiculous system. And they knew that intellectually but emotionally that is, but she's our queen. But you love the queen. I mean, you love, you've love. got to love the queen because she's our queen. And I think it's difficult for Australians to really grasp that and what that means. And it's like these are our allies. Like uh, Britain is not the mother country. It's not my mm. mother country. I got to live there because of a grandfather born in Scotland and that gets into a very different yeah. discussion about, um, about <laughs> what it means to be British. But the... These are our allies, and I think we need to have more of a conversation in the West about what the Western alliance means and what our relationships with our other allies, places like Japan, should mean. And it should mean cultural friendship, that there is enough uh, of a a comedy between nations for us to be able to sympathise with what the British are going through, these periods of terrible terrible disconnection and upset and that have to do with extremely marginalised people in terrifying circumstances as well as seeing the value of symbols that we don't understand to them.
0: And, of course, then, you know, Queen Elizabeth II was not just Queen of England. She was Queen of Australia and and Charles III is now the King of Australia uh, and Insiders today did a lot of uh, sort of discussion about about. Uh, that and spoke to former Prime Minister John Howard and spoke to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, uh, and and Peter Dutton as well, the opposition leader, leader of the coalition, and and what what that might mean, and and I think the there is a sense that Charles was quite outspoken as the Prince of Wales. Of course, Prince of Wales for a long time, the longest ever serving Prince of Wales by by definition. Uh, But he was very outspoken about environmental issues from a more conservative position than a radical position. Uh, you know, his Aston Martin runs on biofuel quite famously. I mean,
1: that's the symbol, isn't it? My yeah.
0: Aston Martin runs on biofuel. You know, his, uh, he talks to plants quite famously. He's, uh, you know, an organic farmer and and all this sort of thing.
1: Look, as far as rural families go, I mean, there have been aristocrats in history who believed in things like draining the blood of tortured virgins and bathing in them to keep themselves young. Big shout-out to Elizabeth Bathory of Hungry there. But um but yeah, so as far as royal families go, I mean I think I'm really quite into gardening is is benign historically.
0: Yes. Uh, but the question has been put: what does this now mean for Australia? And and what does uh, a, a Charles III's reign mean for Australia? In the short term, what does it mean for our pathway to becoming a republic? I mean, Prime Minister Albanese was very clear today, his priority is still the voice.
1: So Ben and I watched Insiders this morning and it was very interesting because David Spears really gave Albo a time to shine interview. Yeah. Which he did, I thought, and nailed some very nuanced and excellent points. So Albanese was asked, you know, what what of the Australian Republic? Albanese made the point, well, obviously his position on this is a matter of record. Our yeah. Prime Minister is a Republican. He's appointed a parliamentary secretary for assistant minister for the Republic, I yeah. believe. Um, and, he's also, and he also made the point um, because Spears said, oh, what about Indigenous Australia? How do you think they're feeling about this you know in this yeah. celebration of a monarch who represents the crown that oh i don't know committed a was a genocide was yeah. in, committed in the name of the crown and albanese was like well obviously this is why the what i've prioritized which is the voice to parliament is so important yeah. and and handi- and handing over that power um to that forum and that process that's an imp- that's an important act of reconciliation and we shouldn't,
0: and we shouldn't forget that it was the crown, technically, legally, politically, the crown that defended the, the legal position of terra nullius um, before it was found to be not real. Yeah, no, not real. Uh, and that actually Indigenous Australians have been here for 60,000 plus years. And Anthony Albanese made that point, right, that, that we are privileged to be on a continent with the oldest continuous uh, civilization on earth. Um, And so, of course, there are many Indigenous Australians who don't feel upset by the passing of Queen Elizabeth II but probably feel more upset by the ascension of Charles III and, and, and what that means. I noticed that the AFLW Indigenous Round won't have the minute silence this weekend or hasn't had the minute silence this weekend that they were originally going to have um, out of respect for the fact that it's the Indigenous round. You know, I think there are points of compromise we have to have as we go forward as a nation. And, and these are some of the more difficult, potentially culturally difficult points where a monarch dies we're still in the process of actually having recognition and reconciliation. You know, we're still we're not yet a republic. Um, we're going to have more of these now. You know, Charles is 73. There's a very good chance that in our lifetime, Van, that, that there'll be another monarch die and uh, potentially another monarch put in put on the throne.
1: Well absolutely. And this is the thing. I, I just want to recommend Twitter is not the place to have these discussions. Yeah. Because they are nuanced and difficult discussions. So one of the things that came across in Albanese's interview with Spears this morning was Albanese p- a paid appropriate difference to the, the passing of the monarch and of course Australian parliamentary procedures which are traditions baked in by the the inheritance of being a British colony. Mm. like there are various rules and rituals that are intersectional that have to do with our nation of laws and customs. I don't support the crown, you don't Albanese doesn't as a as an ideology, but as a practical system of governance which is currently in place, there are traditions that have to be respected and engaged. Like that's where mm-hmm. we are. If we want that to be different, which I do and you do and Albanese does, there are processes to go through. The voice to parliament is a really important one and that's putting the horse before the cart. If we're moving into a new reality with a monarch who doesn't have the same historical purchase as Queen Elizabeth. And let's remember, you know, she was a post-war monarch. She represented the different world yeah. that 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 era was. The 1950s to today are different civilizations in Britain and in Australia, as everywhere else. Like no no monarch saw so much change in such a period of time, mm. um, and if we want to make sure we're part of a of a respectful and dignified discussion about a future australia enshrining the voice is the vehicle for getting there that we center indigenous people in a discussion of their relationship to the state, to government, to the processes of what Australia looks like moving forward—that's the vehicle for the just republic that you and I and Albanese and everybody who believes in a republic actually wants.
0: Absolutely, and look, I think too the opportunities of Charles the Third's reign are being discussed, and they'll and they'll continue to be discussed. You know, the the, the thing that struck me about insiders was the question Spears put to both Albanese, uh, well, to all the guests really, but to Albanese and Dutton in particular about um, Charles's environmental uh, activism, advocacy is probably a better word than activism, uh, and whether uh, people would be happy to see that continue. Albanese said he had no problem doing that and, in fact, our prime minister's view is that climate change is not a political issue; it's an issue of science and response to science. Glorious! Um, how glorious! How glorious! Yeah, Gloriana, indeed.
1: I haven't I haven't <laughs> felt so seen since the elf died when he had to cut down a tree on Rings of Power.
0: <laughs> I felt seen. I felt really summed up in the spoiler alert. Um, and of course, the. Peter Dutton had a much more difficult time answering that question. Oh,
1: it was hilarious. It was the best three seconds of Australian television this year, can I just say, when David Spears reminded Peter Dutton, because, of course, the Australian Liberal Party and its conservative wing obviously, mm. uh, absolutely baked into this performative royalism. And you had Howard on Spears this morning, which was, can I just say, unendurable, and Tony Abbott's been in tears, everyone. The great Catholic, Tony Abbott, as somebody pointed out, I think it was my cart I can't remember who it was, that, you know, Tony Abbott, who is you know one-man Catholic pageant, is so absolutely dis- distressed about the death of a British monarch, someone who represents the institution that has done more damage to Catholicism than any other in human history, straddling both worlds, TA. But um, but it was kind of, it, it is this default amongst Australian Tories that comes from Menzies and I did much to her passing by and would love her to the day I die. It was disgusting to find out that John Howard had met with the Queen 25 times yeah. over the miserable years of his prime Five ministership. Years, that's
0: twice a year you met with her, more yeah, than twice a year. More
1: than twice a year. More yeah. than twice a year and would have loved it, every minute of it. You know, yeah. I'm sure Jeanette was charmed by the sandwiches. But, um, oh, and if I had to hear the word Jenny but, out of Scott Morrison's mouth one more time, Ben, I would have had an aneurysm. I but, would have had
0: an aneurysm. But, but, Ben, the point about Dutton is that he really s- said that he thought it would be inappropriate, really. He said it, he thought he it He was
1: be- totally caught off guard. Yeah. Because he hasn't done the reading. He probably doesn't even know about the biscuits. <laughs> So Prince Charles has these massive farming holdings that he has devoted to organic um, farming for years and years and years. And you can buy the biscuits made from Prince Charles's like, you know, orchard produce and whatever at Sainsbury's and things in the UK. And he's like, he's a massive figure in a number of environmental causes in Britain. As the
0: Duke of Cornwall.
1: As the Duke of Cornwall, as the, you know, prince of everything. But Dutton clearly hasn't done the reading and doesn't know and And, of course, when Spears made this point about, well, the new king is a climate activist, Dutton physically did not know what to do. It was brilliant. It was just three seconds of pure performance art of him going, oh, no, oh, no, what do I do? And you could just see this moment, the most pure Tory wedge in the world. We love the king. God save the king. But also, oh, my God, he's an environmentalist. Like, ooh, who do we hate more, peasants or trees? Gah! And look. As a tree champion peasant, I'm very excited by this.
0: We, we will we will wrap up shortly because it is uh, the weekend wrap and we don't we don't uh, do the full hour even even on a special episode like this. Um, <laughs> is that a clue? But I do want I do want to point out that you know, we don't know what Charles's reign will be like. We don't know how long it will go for. The man is 73 after all. Uh, but we also should remember that it was Elizabeth's uh, grandfather, who was so instrumental in... The First World War. This idea that the monarch is a benign figure and
1: passive figure,
0: and a passive figure—that's not the monarchy. That was just her. That was her. You know, and and this is, you know, we should think a little bit more about our history. Uh, it's not that long ago. Seventy years is a long reign, but it's not a long time in human history. It's not that long ago that her uncle Edward was forced to, essentially, forced to abdicate because of how activist he was. And, in fact, as, he, as documents and history has shown, how pro-fascist he was. <laughs> he really was. Um, you know, her father, of course, saw England through the Second World War and was quite active in in that process and engaged regularly with Winston Churchill and was seen regularly uh, by the people and refused to leave the country when England was under threat from fascist invasion. We, We take for granted and have taken for granted a passive and benign monarch. Charles may not be. Charles may be quite activist. Now, Indications suggest that if he is to be activist, it will be in the areas of things like the environment and climate change. He
1: said the clock is ticking to midnight on the climate. Like he has he has been very explicit about his climate activism.
0: But he also may choose to follow his mother's example, which he has seen up close for 70 years. We just don't yet know. His early indications are that he will As he says in his sort of, you know, paraphrasing a little bit here, have less time for the charities and issues so close to his own heart. But who knows what the future will hold now. I can say this for certain, there will be a public holiday here in Australia on the 22nd of September. That's Thursday, Thursday, which, you know, enjoy that. I'm sure there'll be many a long weekend taken that weekend. Uh, And of course, there will be morning ceremonies and all the sorts of things. We can expect to see the pomp and pageantry of this continue for some time. And for those who do feel a genuine sense of sorrow, you know, we do feel empathy and sympathy for you. However, we remind you, we are Republicans.
1: Yes, we invest those symbols with a different meaning than you do, and where each of us will respond with appropriate dignity to them given the situation, I believe, is the best way of That's right. Of moving through this historical moment.
0: And just a reminder, if you want to support the week on Wednesday, we don't have royal estates to draw from. Uh, We do, however, have a- Yes, the
1: Red Queen doesn't come with tithing.
0: No, we do, however, have a Buy Me A Coffee page, buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. You can become a cadre, extend the reach, or buck a week supporter there, or just give a one-off. Uh, support, and I want to give a shout out to Bell Sprout Bakehouse. We love you, Bell Sprout Bakehouse, um, and our good friend there, Jared, Jared, who has started listening to the show. And gave us a loaf of fruit bread,
1: <laughs> which my mother has tucked into with some energy this morning. In- and we are endorsing uh, Bell Sprout Bakehouse because it is truly delicious bread.
0: And if you are a community organization who, uh, in lieu of uh, being able to provide financial support through our Buy Me a Coffee, please page- just
1: promote the show on your social networks. That's all we ask of people. Um, we also apologize, the sound was a bit squiffy from Brisbane. Uh, earlier this week. Ben and I are doing our best to resolve all sound issues given the fact that that was, well, kind of torturous for both of us. Um, But also we really want you to come to see Week on Wednesday live at Trades Hall on October 12th as part of Melbourne Fringe and you can buy tickets from the Melbourne Fringe website and we'll obviously have them on all of our posts because that should be a rip-roaring evening. And another interstate festival asked us this week if we wanted to do another Week on Wednesday Live at another location, and it's all dependent on how Melbourne goes. So if you want us to come on tour into your city and do our show and be part of the conversation with
0: us there, encourage your Melbourne friends to come see us at Trades Hall. Absolutely. Until Wednesday, as I always say, be kind to yourself and to each other.